I finally said, I cannot stand here and watch this anymore. I am going to say the Lord's Prayer if anyone would like to join me. And everyone said, okay. So we bowed our heads, folded our hands, and the monitor is to the right of me and my brother-in-law is to the right of that. And we say the Lord's Prayer, and um, most of the people in the room were not active in their faith. They were all Christians, um, but they were definitely not active. So we're saying the prayer, and at the very end, and I said, amen, and I look up, and my brother looks at me, and he nods. He said, when you said amen, Jill, everything went flat, and she was gone. Welcome to Christ in All Things, a conversation about meaning and purpose. It's based on a Bible verse, Colossians 1:17, which says, Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ in All Things is a listening ear into conversations about receiving and giving the love and hope of Christ. And these conversations, they are an invitation. Because as you'll hear, and as much as we enjoy having them, digital media operates from a distance. And that is not what's best for us, with God, or with one another. So, thanks for listening. And if you're in the neighborhood, we invite you to participate in person in the life that finds its epicenter at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Christ in All Things. We're back here with Mrs. Jill George, Principal of the Year extraordinaire <laughs> the pody and picking up this is part two of the conversation and we want to i know pastor shockman you wanted to pick up where you left off because you had something she said piqued your interest yeah. i could see it jill just a reminder mm -hmm. the youthful pearl who is both restless and cantankerous uh that's what your name means it's a There's great a compliment name. in there somewhere <laughs> there, it might be backhanded a little bit but yeah um and then you said the the things that have formed you. Number one was your seventh grade teacher, Mr. Gertzmacher, uh, because of the way that he cared and 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 demonstrated the love of Christ. Uh, the second thing was the death of your sister. Mm -hmm. um, and as as much as losing a relative is a loved one, especially your sister, who's like a second mom, you mm -hmm. said, is formative. Um, I imagine the circumstances of her dying also played into that formation. It, am I right? In, in a big picture way, I mean, yeah, it's a very kind of a long drawn out story, but. It's kind of what we're here for. Yeah. You want me to talk about that? Yeah, okay. if you don't mind. Well, I don't know how to, where to start this exactly. So I guess I'll start maybe five years earlier. Okay. Right, because when you, again, how God is working, you don't necessarily see at the time. And it takes until something big happens that you look back and go, oh, now I get it. When Alex started kindergarten at St. Paul's, I was working at, for the Zoological Society of Milwaukee County. And that job required me to work like 19 out of 21 weekends. There was always an event or I had to be there super early in the morning. Things just never lined up for us to get to church regularly. And at the end of kindergarten, 
Alex did not win a good church attendance award. Huh? And he was very upset by that. Sure. And so, you know, what are you at that age six when you finish kindergarten? And so he was very upset and told dad and I, I don't like that. I want that award next year. And we said, okay, we will do whatever it takes to make sure that we turn that around. So the weekends that I couldn't go, Jamie made sure that he took the kids. Um, and then I began actively looking for something else. Um, and long story short on that is at one point, the church bulletin had that they were looking for someone to run, how do they even word it? The library or the media center or technology or whatever. And I'm like, well, I have a background in education. I can, I can do that. Well, and your background in education is, or was at the time. Yeah. So I had been the assistant director of student acti activities at Texas Women's University for three years. And then after that, I was the assistant dean of students at the University of Dallas for three years. So it's not like you didn't know what you were talking about when it came to education. Right, right. <laughs> and, and children, I learned very quickly that no matter if you're five or 21, it's the same thing. <laughs> How so? People need the same thing. Everybody needs rules. Everyone needs boundaries. Um, the boundaries may shift ever so slightly, but everybody needs boundaries. Um, and especially as the assistant dean of students, I was the last run in the ladder when it came to the disciplinary system. Um, so I had lots of bizarre things that are not mentionable on the radio or over the airwaves, I should say. Um, they're for private conversations to tell about. But yeah. So a 21-year-old probably needs stronger fences than a five-year-old does. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I applied for the job here at St. Paul's or threw my name in the hat, whatever the deal was. And the principal at the time, uh, he had some kind of a health issue. And so it fell off to the side and away it went. So I never heard anything. And by this time, I had taken this really simple for me job at the Heartland Chamber of Commerce, which was just, you know, plug and play, whatever. It didn't require much thought. And Cole Brown ended up taking over the principalship here because of the previous guy was not well enough to do it. And in this pile of things, he found my resume and then called me in and said, hey, can I got your resume here. You want to come and like finish putting the library together? And yeah, well, okay. And run the volunteer program. And so that's how I ended up here. And every few months or quarter or semester, Cole would add something new, like, if you want to teach all my PE classes, I, you know, then I, that frees me up. So then I started teaching all the PE classes and then, oh, will you take over the computer classes? And then pretty soon I had a full teaching load and here we are today, <laughs> which is ironic because now I'm his, his boss. So that's... <laughs> it is. On the board of the Lutheran uh, High School yeah. Association yeah, and of he's Greater the one Milwaukee. That point, he pointed that CEO. out to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. then that's five four five years prior right so before. so we start making ourselves you know we are committed to going to church regularly and in doing that and getting more involved in the church and getting more involved in the school we start to develop these friendships and the friendships grow and get strong and deep and now we're vacationing with these families and we're just loving life and then along comes alex in fifth grade now 
And my sister had been diagnosed, oh gosh, this is the timing on this gets a little goofy, about four years prior. So let's say when Alex was in first grade, she got diagnosed with hepatitis C. Mm. Um, at the time, so this is 1997-ish, they didn't know as much about hep C as they do now. And it was kind of like, oh, you are either an intravenous drug user or, you know, you were someone who was sexually immoral. And Putting it mildly. Yeah, putting it very mildly. And that profile, neither of those profiles fit my sister. And as they did testing and stuff, they're like, oh, gosh, you actually haven't had this very long. You have no scarring on your liver. So what they determined was that she had had um, um, a miscarriage. So she got pregnant in 45. She had a miscarriage and ended up having to have a DNC. That was a Memorial Day weekend of that particular year. Fourth of July weekend that year, she got what she thought was the flu. Fever, didn't feel good, stuck in bed for a few days. Then September rolls along and she goes to give blood at work. And about a week later gets this huge packet from the blood center that says, uh, you have hep C. Mm. So... Come to find out later, at least this is my memory, so if someone's got a medical background and I'm wrong, let me know. Um, it is likely that her feeling sick and flu-like 4th of July weekend was the manifestation of contracting the hep C, very likely in the hospital in some fashion, a uh, tainted blood product or something. Sure. So... Um, at the time, she was um, encouraged through the doctors to go through an experimental treatment program um, through the medical college, and she did that, and that's basically like chemo, mm -hmm. uh, ibuprofen, and another drug that I don't recall the name of. And it was really hard on her, so sick, not feeling well, emotionally taxing. Um, at one point, she wanted to be done with it, and they said, well, we'll alter the protocol a little bit to get you through it. And at some point the treatment ends. I don't remember the length of that time. Let's call it two years. Um, then August of 2000, she, oh, how does this go? Oh, it's like a Thursday and um, she's getting ready to go to Door County for the weekend with uh, her husband and my niece, my brother-in-law and her, uh, her daughter. And she has all this bruising all over her body. And she's like, I wonder, gosh, boy, that gardening really got out of control. You know, I must, I don't know what's going on here. And my niece Megan's like, mom, I think you should call the doctor. Ah, we're leaving for Door County tomorrow. I'll do it when I come back if it's still a problem. So on Sunday, they come back from Door County. They show up at my parents' house because it's my parents' um, anniversary and my dad's birthday. And she said, now I've got this weird rash all over me. And I look at her legs and I'm like, that's not a rash. I said, I don't know what you call it, but it's blood coming up from underneath. I can see. Well, now I know it's called petechia. So that's Sunday. On Monday, she calls her doctor, her um, liver specialist, and leaves a message. They never call her back. And she and my niece and Alex and Lillian and I spend the day at Brook Park in Brookfield swimming and having fun. Um, The next day, she calls the doctor back and says, why didn't you call me? Oh, yeah, yeah, you should come in. She goes into him, and he goes, oh, that's that has nothing to do with your liver. I don't know what that is. I'll take some blood. And she leaves. 
She's uncomfortable with that, so she goes to the family dermatologist, and he starts saying lupus, connective tissue disorder. Like he starts rattling off all these things that could be, let me take more blood. Mm. That's Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday night, um, my middle sister was at my house, and um, I got the two of them on the phone together. They, don't, they were not close at the time, and um, so they actually had a civil conversation, and that was the last time they spoke. Um, the next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, my brother-in-law called and uh, said, I'm at Elmbrook. Uh, Joellen had a seizure. She's in surgery right now. We don't know what's going to happen. Let your parents know. So she woke up at 5 to get ready for work and had a ridiculously bad headache, got my brother-in-law up and said, I, I can't stand it. You've got to take me to the, to the hospital. He drove her to Elmbrook. And as soon as they got her into a room, she went into convulsions, and they had to intubate her. And they went in, and they determined that she was bleeding between the brain and the skull. Mm. And they had to relieve the pressure. So they removed a chunk of her skull, and then that's all we knew at the time. What those doctors and my brother-in-law did not know was while that's all happening, the dermatologist calls the house at 6.30 in the morning and gets a hold of my niece and says, where's your mother? And she said, she's at the hospital. And he said, oh, my goodness, I got her blood results back. Your platelet count is supposed to be, I think, in the 17,000s, you know, the tens of thousands. And her platelet count was below 800. So what ended up happening was they determined that she had um, acute prolymphocytic leukemia. And the leukemia was causing her platelets to be eaten up. Mm. And so the headache was when, the, when it, your blood... And again, she doesn't are, have any oxygen. Well, she doesn't have, yeah, there's, and this is complete layman's terms, right? Not a medical person. The blood is looking for a place to release itself because it's not clotting at all. And yeah. so it found a weak spot and the weak spot was in her brain. So, so with that low of a platelet count, yeah. she's not clotting mm -hmm. and they just took a part of her skull off. Mm -hmm. And they told us if she survives the next 24 hours, um, we can cure this cancer, it not put it in remission. He said, we can cure it, but the next 24 hours is going to be critical. So they had to figure out what are they going to do with this low platelet count. So in the first 24 to 36 hours, she got like something like 60 different blood products put into her body. Um, so we spent all day there with her and the family. And then the next day we went back again. Um, we went, Jamie and I, I think, finally went home at like 7 o'clock that night because things were looking better. Like, hey, she made it past the 24-hour mark. Things are going well. Um, and then about 9 o'clock at night, my brother-in-law called and said, you got to come back. It's going downhill fast. They don't know if she's going to make it. And get Barbie over here, too. That's our middle sister. And so we got there, and they said, we've got to keep her blood pressure up. That's the only way her body is basically drowning in all these fluids. So we have to get in there and keep her irritated. <laughs> well, you've called in the right two to do that. <laughs> so in come Barbara and I, yeah. and again, Barb and Joellen were not really getting along super well at the time, so it wasn't too hard to find things to irritate her. So <laughs> just the presence might have done it, right? So Barbara and I go in there, and we're just telling old stories like, remember when Barbie took all your clothes and Mom and Dad had to put a lock on the door and... You know, remember when we cracked up your car, whatever story we could come up with. And when we would talk, her blood pressure would raise. And then if we got quiet, it would dip. So we 
we did this for hours. And then other members of the family would come in and we would take turns just trying to keep her going like that. I think we left maybe one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and then the next morning about six got the phone call that, yeah, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, so everybody come back in. So, um, at the time my dad was already, um, disabled from strokes. Yeah. So getting him to the hospital was like a big deal. Yeah. But, um, all of us were there. Um, so at the end, I, I want to say she died maybe 11 o'clock in the morning ish. Um, they let everybody go into the, into the ICU room with her. So like, there's probably, oh, I want to say at least 18 of us in there. It's a lot. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and while that's, we're that's a lot of people that's in a lot ICU of people room. in there right and her head's completely wrapped like a giant q-tip and they've got all these tubes in her and a machine breathing for her and the whole thing was it was horrible and while we're all standing there quietly like you could watch the monitor and the heart rate's going down and the blood pressure's going down and if anybody whispered or took a breath of air or did any movement it would creep back up again and we're all just staring at her and i finally said I cannot stand here and watch this anymore. I am going to say the Lord's Prayer if anyone would like to join me. And everyone said, okay. So we bowed our heads, folded our hands, and the monitor is to the right of me and my brother-in-law is to the right of that. And we say the Lord's Prayer, and um, most of the people in the room were not active in their faith. They were all Christians, um, but they were definitely not active. So we're saying the prayer, and at the very end, and I said, amen, and I look up, and my brother looks at me, and he nods. He said, when you said amen, Jill, everything went flat, and she was gone. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. And wow. I thought, whoa, look what you just did, God. Yeah. Holy smokes. So... That, that whole thing was, I, I was never, I, I never said, why God? I was more like, wow, God. Um, and ugh, now what? Part of that journey, those 56 hours she was in the hospital, my niece Megan, um, watching her wor- use God's word to go through this, she was only 20 at the time. To watch her use God's word and how strong her faith was, I'm like, oh. That is you watching Megan. Me watching Megan. Oh, my goodness. I have not been doing this right. Hmm. I'm 39 years old, and I'm watching her, and I'm learning from her. So she's the one that originally asked a nurse, can I have a Bible? She's the one that disappeared at one point and went down into the chapel and prayed. Like, she was anchored in God's word the whole time. Yeah. And that just was incredible to me. But during that time is when I found that Romans 5 passage about suffering and perseverance. And so that has been my go-to passage for 22 years now. Formative. Mm-hmm. I thought I would want to come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Gertzmacher, mm-hmm. who demonstrates the love of Christ to you, mm-hmm. uh, the death of your sister, mm-hmm. in which you saw... Christ at work yeah. through his word mm-hmm. to provide comfort and mm-hmm. hope. Absolutely. Uh, and then swim. <laughs> yeah. Right? Where you do stand alone even as part of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and and these all work together to form you is there something else that sticks out as well well akin to the moment my sister died um the very same thing happened with my father th uh three years later so she died august of 20 i think he died september of 03 similar kind of a situation in that we were kind of the whole family was standing around all day and they were like oh he's going to go at any minute and you know we have lunch and we're still waiting and dad <laughs> what's taking so long <laughs> right it's and, okay you can go <laughs> right and i had actually had that yeah. conversation with him in the hospital a few days prior yeah. um my sister barb at one point called one of the aides that my that had taken care of my father his name was terry and uh, Tara was this huge guy, long black ponytail, like 6'5", you know, er. He desperately wanted to have a Harley Davidson and, you know, that kind of thing. She calls and leaves him a message to say, hey, dad's in the hospital, or dad's at the uh, at three pillars. He's getting ready to die if, in case you want to stop in. And then the staff would come in every few minutes and go, I'm surprised he's still here. Like, are you waiting for more family to show up? And we're like, no, actually, he's got someone waiting for him up there. <laughs> Um, so we're waiting and waiting. Finally, at 3.15, Terry walks in the door, and he said, I'm coming to say hi to Jim. Oh, my goodness. We're at the end here. I said, yeah, we are. So he sits down, and he asks for a pulse ox reader, and he said, oh, gosh, his oxygen is very low. We said, yeah, we've been here all day. So we're sitting there a minute, and I said, okay. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer if anyone wants to say it with me. So it's my mom, my sister Barb, and this Terry. And Terry now has his fingers on my dad's carotid. And say the Lord's Prayer again, and I look up, and Terry's jaw is like hitting the floor. And he said, you said amen? And, and, and then there was no more pulse, and, and you said, and oh my gosh, what just happened? Note to self. <laughs> Don't let Jill read the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Especially and, if you're not feeling well. And say amen. Right? Right? Uh, okay, wow. So three years later, the same thing happens Same with thing happens. Dad. And oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened. And my, my sister gets really upset and, you know, bring him back and bring him back. And no, Barbie, he's gone. And so um, for about two weeks, Terry would call me a couple times a week or three or four times a week and say, I still can't get over that. I said, you know what, Terry? I truly believe that you were supposed to witness that, that that was a moment that God wanted you to have, and you're supposed to do something about that now. Don't yeah. know what he did about it. Good for you. So I'm curious how, how you, Pastor O'Donnell, having sat there and kind of listened through all of this, uh, how do you summarize or Christ is in all things in the midst of this? I, well, I'd love to answer that question. Mostly, I'm almost in tears. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, it, well, it's, a, it's, ama right? it's amazing, and it's amazing. You know, I, I, Jill, one of the things I appreciate you is your humility, and you're, and you're just willing to say what you're thinking, right? Because a lot of people in your position, I mean, you're the, bloody principal of the year. Right? You're kind of a big deal, at least this year. Kind of. In my own <laughs> mind, maybe. <laughs> no. But but what you know, you just talked you just talked about how you're 
son mm-hmm. taught you a lesson mm-hmm. about how your how your niece taught you a lesson mm-hmm. um how how you learned how you learned from them i mean i don't know specifically how to answer your question pastor shackman but i'm just i'm thinking about i'm thinking about jill in being willing to learn from whoever the lord puts in front of her mm-hmm. and if that's not right and and learn and learn that this is the lord at work mm-hmm. you know if that's not christ in all things i don't know what is that's what i was hoping you'd say <laughs> Yeah, I that's don't know what, what I was hoping you'd say, Jill. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us and letting people get to know you a little. Sure. Uh, in the midst of sharing the things that have formed you and what your name means, uh, we really appreciate the time. Uh, we mentioned this in the interv- in the intro and the outro, uh, but for you folks that are just listening to this, y- you're missing the best part. Because the best part of this is sitting here in this room <laughs> watching Jill relive these moments that formed her and tell the stories and, and and watching Pastor O'Donnell listen to these stories, perhaps for the first time, uh, and, and how they impact him. This togetherness, this... Uh, being in person. Being in person, uh-huh. yeah, face to face. This is why we do this, right? So if you're listening from a distance, we're so glad that we can share these moments with you. But really, there's nothing quite like being here in person. So we'll look forward to seeing you here at St. Paul's. For show notes and other information about this or other episodes of Christ in All Things, visit ChristInAllThings.org. Comments may be emailed to comments at ChristInAllThings.org. To support Christ in All Things, click the donate page at either ChristinAllThings.org or SPLCO.org. In thanks for a one-time gift of $100 or more, you receive a pair of nerdy blue light blocking glasses with the Christ in All Things logo on them. Pastor Shockman loves these. That is so not true. Patrons who subscribe for a monthly gift of $20 or more will have early access to the show and receive some on-air clapping as well as a pair of Wisconsin-made Christ in All Things hiking socks. Gifts of $1,000 or more will receive thunderous on-air clapping. (laughs) And a word of thanks, plus a handmade leather Christ in All Things folio by the Murdy Creative Company. For a gift of $10,000 or more, we will go bleeping bananas. Do a happy dance and take the show on the road to your home or wherever it is you'd like to fly us to record with you. All post-production surplus supports youth ministry at St. Paul's. Thank you for your support. Christ in All Things is a production of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. For more information about St. Paul's, visit splco.org, email us at info at splco.org, or call us at 262-567-5001. Intro, outro music, setting by Joseph Hurl, copyright 1998, Concordia Publishing House, used with permission.